today, you have a chance to become a premium member of the podcast. Click one of the premium membership levels and you can get everything from a free book by an ag arts artist to free postcards to extra bonus interviews to the chance to have a piece of writing critiqued by me and a free workshop or reading by Mary Swander. So go to those show notes, scroll down and click to become a premium member. Thank you so much for your support. from Horse and Buggy Land, and I'm your host, Mary Swander, with the answers and winners of the Ask Ruby contest. Just to remind you, listeners were invited to ask Ruby, our gross mommy in residence, questions about the Amish culture. I have Ruby Yoder, who has a vast reservoir of knowledge, in the studio with me today. She has lived this lifestyle for over 80 years. Welcome, Ruby. Ah, hello. Let's jump right in and hear those listener questions for you. Remember, the prize is $200 plus a subscription to the Amish newspaper and literary journal called Plain Interests. First question, Ruby. My name is Brant Bullman, and I'm one of these hipsters with a finely waxed mustache, and I've noticed that Amish men have long beards, but they do not have mustaches, and my question is, is what could they possibly have against a finely waxed, groomed, and twisted mustache? Well, we originated in Switzerland and are pacifists. In Europe, War raged all around us in those days, and we thought the whole thing barbaric. The Ten Commandments clearly tells you, Thou shall not kill. We take this to mean that there is no exception. We were persecuted for our beliefs about adult baptism and about pacifism. The generals in the armies in those days, wore big brass buttons on their jackets and sported waxed and finely groomed mustaches. So in protest to war, Amish men stopped using buttons and they shaved their mustaches off their faces. And to this day, we use hook and eyes and our men grow beards, but not mustaches. And on another topic of nonviolent resistance... This is a question for Gross Mommy uh, Ruby. Uh, did the Amish men, were they drafted during World War II, and did they serve? And how did the woman, women help on the home front? That is my question for, uh, for Ruby. Thank you. A peace church. As I said, we are discouraged from going to war and killing people. 
Many of the Amish men during World War II received a farm deferment. But to qualify, you had to have so many cows or a flock of 500 broilers or 40 turkeys or nine hogs. It went like that. And there were rules if both the father and the son were living on the farm and so forth. So Amish and Mennonite farms didn't always qualify. Lots of Mennonite men and some Amish still got drafted. Some actually did go into the service. They just felt such pressure from the people in their areas. If they refused the draft, the English often poured yellow paint on their houses or hanged them in effigy in town. By that time, the U.S. government had created a conscientious objector status. That status didn't exist in World War I, and you were thrown in with the rest of the troops in the barracks. Your clothes were taken away, and you were told to put on the uniform to keep from freezing to death. If you refused, you could be beaten or even thrown in prison. Some of our men lost their lives this way in U.S. prisons. In World War II, if you applied and were granted CO status, you could be sent to fight fires in the West or sent to a camp to do heavy labor. Some men ended up serving in hospitals. You heard about one of our Mennonite men on another of your podcasts who was sent to work in a hospital in Chicago during the Korean War. Four-story building. He had to wash the windows inside and out. No harness, no net. Just standing on the windowsill. The women? Well, they had to get out in the fields and plant the crops, harvest them, do all the chores, tend to the stock, as well as keep the house going. There was a huge shortage of farm laborers. And here's still another question on this topic, Ruby, from Portland, Oregon. Hi, Ruby. I'm interested in understanding how the Amish are responding to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And what is an example of how the Amish have demonstrated their pacifism? My name is Rocky. I look forward to hearing from you. And now we are grieved truly grieved by all we hear about this war in Ukraine. We don't have radio, TV, and a few newspapers. We try to stay away from pouring all that awful news into our heads and into our homes. But we know a major war is going on, and we constantly worry that there will be another draft in this country. We know that the news talks about war crimes. We think that any war, no matter how you conduct it, is a crime. You can read our newspaper, The Budget, and follow the Christian aid ministries in places like Romania. They are taking in refugees, giving them food, clothing, housing, trying to comfort them, trying to help all these poor people who have been displaced. Mennonite children are filling boxes to ship food back over the border to help the people still in Ukraine. The Mennonites are doing the same in Moldova, who are handling even more refugees there. Here at home, we tear up old clothes and make quilts and send them to those aid centers.
And this discussion leads us to the next question, Ruby. There are two questions about voting, one from Iowa City and one from Alaska. Hello, Gross Mommy Ruby. My name is Monica, and I have a question for you. I've heard that the Amish don't vote. Now, to my way of thinking, voting is one way that you can make the world a better place, and I know that the Amish care about that. So I'm wondering, why is it that the Amish don't vote? Thank you. Ruby, this question came up in the Osher Lifelong Learning Women's Suffrage class I teach for seasoned learners. Who but you, the gross mommy, would be able to answer this question? The question is, do the Amish vote? We are awaiting your seasoned answer. Thanks, Kate Sunwood. We are law-abiding citizens. We obey all the English laws, but we have a two-kingdoms belief system. We believe there are two kingdoms, a material and a spiritual kingdom. We aren't forbidden to vote, but most don't. We consider it too worldly and an act in the material world. We think of ourselves as people belonging to the spiritual world. Also, we don't want to support a politician who will merely turn around and wage war on another country. Voting, waving the flag, pledging allegiance, just supports nationalism, which so often leads to war. Ruby, we're turning to issues closer to home. Hello, Ruby. What are the social, economic, and environmental benefits of extended families in the Amish community? Is it common practice today to have three or even four generations living in one household? Jack Hovlin, Muscatine, Iowa. Well, we do often have three generations living on one farm. But we're smart enough not to have them all living under the same roof. That would only cause problems. So farms often have dotty houses, named for the grandpas or gross dotties. Like any farm, it's good to have the dotty house far enough away from the main house so that the gross dotty and the gross mommy don't start criticizing what the son and daughter-in-law are doing. But close enough so that the son and daughter-in-law can help with the elder care if necessary. Oh, my, the way the English live. 
with each family on a different farm or lot squeezed into a city. It's so wasteful. We don't pay extra taxes and all those other expenses that two separate farms would create. Living together makes our families tighter, stronger. We do move around a lot. We don't settle into one house for the rest of our lives. We know we'll raise our children in the big house, then eventually move to the smaller dotty house. At that time, we have a big auction and get rid of all of our stuff. Our grown children, the neighbors, everyone comes and bids. Then the money becomes part of our retirement plan. We don't take Social Security. We don't take disability, Medicare, or Medicaid. We pay in but don't take out. We have a special exemption for Social Security. We have to build our own security. And since we're talking about housing, here's a question that fits into that category. Ruby, do Amish people use bathtubs? Do you have an indoor bathroom? Denise O'Brien. Now, I was wondering when we would get to this one. Okay. So some very old order Amish still don't have indoor bathrooms. Down in Missouri, they still use outhouses in Amish communities like that. We're old order here in Fremartentown. At least I still am. But we're more modern. Yes, we have running water, indoor bathrooms, showers, bathtubs, the works. We have stoves and refrigerators powered by gas, even freezers. Now, I grew up with an outhouse, and I have to say, having an indoor bathroom is a lot nicer than having to go outside in the freezing weather. Woohoo, that can get cold on your know-what. And you never know what kind of critter might be in that outhouse. Once, I opened the door and out came a bobcat. No, you need to know there are different Amish sects in different locations with different rules. And sometimes the rules change according to the bishop. That's the man who is the minister and in charge of his district. And if you don't like the rules of a certain district, you can move. And a lot of folks do. My understanding is that it is now okay for some Amish groups to use electricity from solar panels, but not from wires connected to a company. Why is that? Jane Yodashore. There you go. Solar panel use differs from place to place. And wait, wait, did you catch that name? Yoder. She might have the inside line on that question. I <laughs> get it. A line on that. Okay, so it's all about no lines in from the outside world. We think it's okay to use electricity sometimes, but not to hook up to a power company. We don't want to be connected to the worldly English. We were originally modeled on the Benedictine monks in Europe, a cloistered order. 
So we think of ourselves as cloistered, sequestered away from the world. Now, I'll tell you how this solar panel thing got started. We were against the contraptions until the telephone company changed the phones. Telephones? I know you're going to ask about that. Surprised this Yoder woman didn't. Well, again, we can use a phone, but can't have one in our house. The silly thing would just ring when we were sitting down for our dinner and ruin our family time. So I have built these little phone shacks in the cornfields. Four or five families might share the phone and the bill. Well, we got along fine with that for years and years until the phone company up and decided that they needed electricity to run the telephones and the phone shacks. Well, it's hard to be without a phone in the country should you have an emergency, so we put little solar panels on top of the shacks and said that was okay. And then, well, we figured out we could run the greenhouse fans with solar panels and do lots of handy things like that. So now we have solar. I have seen Indiana Amish, and they seem to dress foxier. Why is this, and how else are Indiana Amish different from Iowa Amish? Jane Yoder-Short. Oh, it's the Yoder woman again. This is a savvy question. Of course it's the Yoder woman. Okay, let's just get down to it. Indiana is the Berkeley of the Amish. Much more liberal, or however you want to call it. The bishops there allow things we would never think of. And in Missouri, they just shake their heads at the Indiana Amish. I've been to Indiana. I have some relatives here who wanted a gas grill, and they up and moved to Indiana. Well, I went to visit them, and not only did they have a gas grill, but a boat, and they were wearing Nikes and riding bicycles. They were riding bicycles. But we have new order Amish riding bicycles here, too. Electric bikes. They charge them on the solar panels, of course. That's right. Foxier, indeed. Well, hey, Ruby, uh, you're pretty foxy yourself. Not like in Indiana. one about Rumspringer. How does that work in Indiana? Rumspringer, huh? How do they know about that? That must be a Miller or a Gingrich calling in now. Well, maybe they saw, I know, I know, maybe they saw the movie. 
Now, I never saw that Rumspringer movie that went around. I don't watch movies. But I'll bet you it was made in Indiana. Hello, Ruby. What is Rumspringer? Is it a time of courtship or an opportunity for Amish youth to travel and interact with people outside their community? Is Rumspringer practiced? by the Kelowna Amish, Annette Hovland, Muscatine, Iowa. Rumspringer is a time for the youth to decide if they want to be baptized into the Amish church or not. We let them get a taste of English life, drive a car until they realize how much money that costs, work outside the home and manage their own affairs. Amish children aren't born into the religion. We give them the chance to make up their own minds, and we believe in adult baptism about 18 years of age. And yes, we have Rumspringer here, but it's nothing like in Indiana. I heard that movie showed the Amish teenagers smoking, drinking, doing drugs. My word. We let our youth experiment here, maybe drink a beer or two, but nothing like in Indiana. The Amish in Kentucky who raised tobacco, they smoke. They're not supposed to, but they do. A teenager will be a teenager. And at the end of Rumspringer, not everybody gets baptized. We lose some to the English world. We do. Sad, but we do. Oh, that is sad for you, Ruby. Now we're moving into a happier topic, foodways, clothing, and social activities. Ruby, what are some typical meals for the Amish? Are there any foods they don't eat? Ardeth Gillespie. Oh, someone after my own heart. You know, I'm known for my cooking, and I cook meals on my farm for the English tourists. A typical meal might be me going out and slaughtering a fryer, cooking it up with mashed potatoes and gravy, maybe some fresh sliced tomatoes out of the garden, three bean salad, and of course, my specialty, shoe fly pie. Shoe fly pie, my oh my, I'm a crazy cat, hollering at the moon. Ruby, 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 we have to stay on track here. I'm sorry we don't have time for your poetry today. All right. Well, we eat mostly out of the garden and store our potatoes and root vegetables for the winter in root cellars. We can go into those cellars when we have these day ratios, too. We can quarts and quarts of tomatoes, peaches, pears, lots of fruits in the summer. We make jams and jellies. Are there things we wouldn't eat? Let's see. Anything that's expensive and the ingredients hard to come by. So no lobster, I'm afraid. No clam bakes. But here's a little secret. I make a mean Vichy Schwartz. Really? 
That doesn't seem very German. Sure, it's just potatoes, leeks, cream, and chicken stock. We call it potato soup. And remember, we come from Switzerland. Oh, I see a little French mixed in, huh? You'll have to give us a recipe someday for that one. Will do. What's the next question? Ruby, this is Susan Strawn. I'm asking you, why don't Mennonites raise sheep for their wool and then spin the wool and knit some of their own clothes, like the Shakers and the people of Amana do that? Or do you? Maybe you do, and I'm wrong. Thank you. We do raise sheep, lots of them. And some of us still spin and knit. But I, I don't know. We kind of got away from it when you could just buy a pair of mittens in the country store. A lot less work. And there isn't time for everything. We love our quilts. And we can sell those at the relief sale for lots of money. So we mostly put our knitting aside. Quilts took up all our energy. You have a good point you do, Susan Strawn. They still do a lot of knitting at the Amana colonies. They're famous for their woolen mill. They used to trade the Meskwakis at the native settlement wool blankets for baskets. Next. This is my question. Is it true that the only musical instrument the Amish play is a harmonica? And if so, why is that? What instruments do they play? And do they do shape note singing? This is Jean Graham in Austin, Texas. True, Jean Graham. We only play the harmonica. I don't know. They may play a guitar or even a fiddle in Indiana. But we're only allowed to play the harmonica here. It's little and fairly cheap. You can put it in your pocket. Caught on, I imagine, due to the German influence. Oh, yes. You should come and see the harmonica display at the Stringtown Grocery. You can buy just about any kind of harmonica. But we mostly pass them down in the family. We play by ear and a family of 10 might have just one harmonica in one key. We play hymns blowing into the glass chimney of a kerosene lamp. Becomes like a megaphone carrying the sound. It works great. Shape note singing? Now that's real interesting. Some of the Amish gross daddies and gross mommies and retired Mennonites here go down south in the winter to build Habitat for Humanity houses. You know, like Jimmy Carter does? Now, there's a good man. And that Rosalind. Well, there's no Amish church in places like Brownsville, Texas, so we went to the Baptist church on Sundays. That's as close as we could get to our church services. And the singing in those hard-shell churches. Wow! The harmonies. We knew many of the hymns and got so we could sing along with those Baptists. 
and we brought that shape note way of singing back here, mostly to the Mennonite churches. But our regular hymn singing isn't too far from that shape note sound. We sing it a lot. We sing when we work, not just at church. We go around the neighborhood at Christmas time and sing carols. You might go into the Stringtown grocery and hear us singing as we stock shelves in the early morning. Shape note singing comes from the South and has a score where the notes are in shapes, squares, triangles, like that. Helps people who can't read music. And it sounds like this. Okay, Ruby, now here's an interesting question. What's your answer to this one? This is from Robin Montgomery Kennedy. For some reason, she couldn't get the technology to work so that we could hear her voice. So I will ask you her question. Do the Amish use binoculars? Well, sure we do. You don't have to plug binoculars into electricity, do you? They don't have a cord. Again, we might have an old pair of binoculars that has been passed down through the family. They are too expensive to just go out and buy. But we use them to stargaze more than we do to watch birds. We've seen the craters on the moon, the rings of Saturn, everything with binoculars. We love to watch the stars, especially when we're up so early to do the milking, it's dark and quiet, and the moon is shining, and we watch those stars move through the sky. One time, a man from the university came out here to let us see the stars through a high-powered telescope. But he started talking about the Big Bang in front of the children. Imagine, in front of the children! We sent the children into the house, and we could see almost as well with our binoculars. Birds we know by their calls. We don't need binoculars for them. We know all the birds by just listening. And we don't have, what you call it, ornithology classes or phones or what they call apps don't know what that is, but they are always looking at them, scrolling, or bird books, or any of it. That's what the English have trouble doing, sitting still and listening. That's a wood thrush. Has such a pretty song. It's a shame 
We don't hear as many of those as we used to. People plowing up too many groves, plowing up too much land. That's where the wood thrush likes to live, in groves and forests. Now you're going to like the next question, Ruby. It has a donut in it. Oh, yum. I love donuts. I make donuts a lot. I was headed to Washington, Iowa on a Thursday in May to visit my sister and wish her a happy birthday. I left Ankeny at the daybreak because I planned to stop at the Golden Delight Amish Bakery north of Kelowna and load up on the best glazed donuts in Iowa. I turned off of Highway 1 at the Golden Delight sign, reminding me they were open Monday through Saturday. As I pulled into the driveway, however, I noticed there were no cars. I walked up to the door, pulled on the door. It was locked. Oh, no, I thought. I looked in and saw no one there. Then I looked around the door and noticed a sign painted, Closed Ascension Day. Indeed, it was the 40th day of the Easter season. I've never known any business to close on Ascension Day, the day Christ descended into heaven, according to the writer of Luke and Acts, but that's probably because Protestant churches celebrate Ascension Day the Sunday following the 40th day of Easter. I was initially disappointed after dreaming for two hours during my drive to southeast Iowa, thinking of myself and my need for a sugar fix. But as I drove away from the bakery, I thought, good for the Amish, putting a hold on consumerism for one day caused me to pause and reflect on this seldom-remembered holy day. My mind also shifted to wonder, and now I can ask an uncommon question, how do Amish families celebrate Ascension Day? Ah, what do we do on Ascension Thursday? That's a religious holiday for us. We observe it. Not like the English who nowadays don't stop for nothing. We close our businesses and have family time on Ascension Thursday. We get together for a meal, various relatives stopping by. Depending on the weather, the young people might have a game of volleyball or soccer. Or inside, we might all sit around the table, sing some hymns, and put together a jigsaw puzzle. Those English, they just keep working, 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 and they don't have a jigsaw puzzle in the house. Okay, last question, Ruby. Ruby, now, this is just between you and me. I'd like to know, how well do you Amish tolerate that English woman? You know, the one who lives in the old schoolhouse? Go ahead and be honest. I promise it'll never get back to her. My name's Bonnie Hamlin. Well, just because it's between Bonnie and me, I'll tell you that we were mighty suspicious of that English woman in the beginning, that Mary Sanders. We heard that there was an old hippie moving into the schoolhouse who would be throwing beer cans in the ditch real estate agent came around and told us that, and he wanted us to bid against her. But what do we want with an old schoolhouse, we asked. Not good for anything but to store hay. And she wants to live in it? Goodness, live in it? Let her have it. Then the hippie moved in, that Mary Swanberg, and planted a beautiful garden. Hmm. 
Then first thing we know, she's out there pulling beer cans out of the ditch. I seen that one with my own eyes, cleaning up the ditch, mind you. At first, she shares a phone with us in the shack, real friendly. Then she puts in her own phone and lets us use it if we like, even friendlier. Then she gives us a ride to the doctor and fetches the burn nurse if we need her. Once my neighbor Moses bought a new buggy at the sale barn, and she pulled it home for him with the hitch on her car. In the end, we're getting along with that old hippie just real good. Thank you, Ruby. It's Yoder, Miller, and Swander out here now. And you can't keep the audience in suspense any longer. Can you tell us the winner of the Ask Ruby contest? Oh, this was a hard one. There were so many good questions. They all deserve awards. So I split up the prizes. Hope you don't mind. I'm giving $100 to the Reverend Dennis Kuhn for the Ascension Thursday question. And I thank him for his generous support of this podcast. Next, I give $100 to Bonnie Hanlon for that last question about the hippie. Then I'm giving one subscription to Plain Interest to Brant Bowman for the question that kicked us off about the mustache. And last but not least, one subscription to Jane Yoder Short for the question about the foxy Amish dressers in Indiana. How's that? That is excellent, Ruby. Many thanks for your hard work and to the very talented Robert Stone in Omaha, Nebraska, for providing our music today. We had more questions than we had time for today, folks. So if you want to hear the rest of the Ask Ruby questions and their answers, become a premium member, and you will have access to more questions and answers from Ruby about the Amish. And that brings today's episode to a close. We were produced by Rick Brewer of Brouhaha Audio Production and had the help of Colton Anderson, our intern from Central College. We had the support of the Werner Ellithorpe Fund at the Oregon Community Foundation and the Calio Levine Fund, which also helps fund our farm to artist residencies. We welcome your support. Like and follow us at Facebook and Instagram. Become a premium member. Or go to our website at 
agarts.org, A-G-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G, and hit that red donate button. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you next time. Bruhaha. She might have the inside line on that question. <laughs> I get it. A line on that.